such a disaster together ladies and gentlemen welcome to looking for our brandy week here on we read the book i'm adam heap i'm lois mitchell and we're joined today once again by my beautiful wife kathleen heap uh we're gonna dive straight into it uh, obviously looking for our brandies deals with a lot of uh relations with like uh in terms of immigrant families and kind of the traditions they have so our question this week is what's one of your family traditions lois what's one of your i suggest this question and i your, did not think of something traditions, lois? Oh crap! What's my Um, my family would go to the beach on Christmas morning before we opened Christmas presents. I'm gonna do another Christmas tradition, which has now turned into an every event tradition. Uh, my dad's side of the family is Indian, so at Christmas time we would have, you know, the roast ham, the roast turkey, a roast chicken. Um, we'd also then have an assortment of curries and macaroni cheese. Um, so now, like, every Easter and, like, Father's Day and Mother's Day, we will have chicken biryani and macaroni cheese. I think for me, I like my, this tradition's pretty new on the whole. Like, it, it didn't, obviously, it wasn't a thing when I was young. Kind of started when I was 16. Uh, but Eurovision is a family mm. tradition in our house. Like we uh, get up at, like, 2 a.m. and we print out some score sheets. And we have some family friends over. And uh, we draw, we have a little pool, so we draw the countries out of a hat, and whoever wins gets a big block of chocolate that you are obligated to share with everyone, so it's not really your fries, you just get the satisfaction of being lucky, and uh, we all score them, and we have like an in-house one, it's a very, it's a big deal. So like I said, we're doing Looking for Ala Brandy this week, a very Australian text. Um, There's a good chance you might not be familiar with this if you are from outside the land down under. I mean, I don't know how, like, popular this text is, like, worldwide, it's very Australian. But also Italian. I'd so. be surprised if anywhere overseas had heard of it. Maybe, possibly even Tasmania. Uh, let's just very quickly uh, vote on book or film uh, and what we preferred. I don't know. It's kind of a hard one for me. I think I'm going to go film because the film has a more concise and just happier ending. And I know that's kind of a silly reason, but um, I'm going to go with film. I'm really torn on this one because I like them both for really different reasons. I think I'm going to go film because it's easier to enjoy for someone like me who can't read very well. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think I'm going to hit the trio and go film, although, again, it's by a very narrow margin, I think. Um, They're very similar in a lot of ways, but I think I feel like the film flows better. Um, and I prefer the way that they reorient some of the events from the book to fit an overarching narrative. And I like the happier ending, personally, because <laughs> they are very different endings. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a hopeful ending. Yep. I'll give you a brief plot summary if you're not familiar with the text, which there's a good chance you're not. Uh, the story's about Josie Alibrandi, or short for Josephine. Uh, she's half Australian, half Italian, a schoolgirl living in Sydney, and she's struggling to maintain good relationships between herself, her single mother, and her widowed grandmother. Uh, things become a lot more complicated when her absent father moves back to Sydney and she has to reconcile that relationship, as well as deal with racist classmates, year 12 exams, and the two boys that she has feelings for. Uh, let's talk about the cast. Uh, <laughs> this is gonna be, this could be a brief discussion because most of these actors and actresses, aside, I mean, I say aside from this, they're very localized, I guess, to Australian television, aside from maybe, uh, Anthony LaPaglia. Yeah. Who's uh, well known for being in Without a Trace. Yeah. So Pia Miranda plays Josie Alibrandi. She's very likable. She's gorgeous. And I'm pretty sure she's like a raging feminist these days. It's awesome. Greta... Sk- I'm going to pronounce this horribly. Greta Skachi? Skachi? I'd say Skachi. Yeah, I'd say Skachi. Uh, as Christina Alibrandi, uh, who's Josie's mum. Uh, we've already mentioned Anthony LaPaglia as Michael Andretti. He's actually pretty good in this. I really like him. He's, yeah, he is mm. good. He fits that the the model well of, of someone who is distant, but there's like but there's good in him. Yeah, he's a warm kind of awkward. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, Elena Cotta as Nonna Katia. Uh, she's old. <laughs> she's yeah. super old, and her hair is like 
really long, even though for the first half of the movie you think it's really short. I'm curious, to, do either of you think she's a strong or weak point in this? Because I've seen differing opinions online. Some people actually really don't like this interpretation of the character. Like, they think it's really unlikable. She's much better in the book. That is probably one of the reasons I really like the book. Um, I found the character in both things flip-flopped to fit what the author needed. But maybe we can talk about that as we get along to it. Yep. Uh, we got, oh, this is a wonderful name. Uh, playing Jacob Coote, we have Kick Gurry. His first name is Kick. Nice. I actually really like this actor. I thought he did a good job with the role. I just thought he was skeezy looking, which I guess is the point. He's that's supposed to be him. He's supposed yeah, to be himself. I was just like, ew, <laughs> the whole time. She was like, oh, he's so hot. And I was like, ew. Oh, no, I can, I, see, you know, I, I kind of, can see the way that they interpret that in this because I think in an Australian an Australian way, like he is kind of that. Like I don't know. I th- I, th- I thought he fit it. I mean, it's clearly personal preference as to what you're into. Basically, in the book, I pictured him and John Barton, who's the other boy, looking basically the same, but one of them is in a public school uniform and one of them is in a private school uniform. Okay, like. There was no talk about them looking super different, whereas, like, you know, Jacob has facial hair and, I think, an earring and, like, long hair. I just kind of pictured him being, like, a quote-unquote normal-looking teenage boy. Also, he looks about 30, like, I mean, all the teenagers do in this, but, like... Yeah, all the teenagers in this are, look way older than teens. Oh, no, I've seen Year 12. There are in Year 12. Like, I've seen yeah. Year 12s look like this. There's always that super tall dude. I mean, I think... he's definitely a grown-ass man. Oh, well, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know. I think John Barton definitely looks the youngest. Yeah. Oh, yeah, He looks eight years old. Yeah, uh, Matthew Newton, the now disgraced Matthew Newton. I was so devastated. As, uh, John Barton. Well, he looks very cherubic and innocent in this. Yeah, he, I mean, he acts fine. Yeah. He was always a, a reasonably good actor. I hadn't, mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he fits, he manages to pull off that darker side well here. Yeah. Of, of John Barton. There's not really a lot more other than those characters, so I guess we'll just dig straight in the plot. Yeah, it's full of Australian tropes, and yeah, I don't even know if there's like, there's probably stuff that we're going to forget to like mention or explain mm. because to us it's like obvious. But if you do want to sit and watch this movie, like, there may be things that go over your head because you'll just be, and you're not Australian, there may be things that go over your head because um, it's so Aussie, this movie. Yeah, right. Which is fine. You it's know, fine. It's, it's just, yeah. It's probably so one of the more well known Australian movies for, for younger people, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for younger people. We're kind of going to flip and flop on terms of what we discuss in the order because the, the plot, most of the plot of the books and the film uh, is the same, just in different order. Yeah, I don't think they they really don't miss any major beats, and there's not not a lot removed, if anything, from book to film. Yeah, I think that's probably because Melina Marchetta, the author, wrote the screenplay. Oh, did she? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting then that she was the one who wanted to change the order of things. It probably fit better uh, in terms of like. I'm sure she didn't do it by herself. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know if if you got a grant to make a movie like this that was a famous Australian book, that would come with something like. Well, an experienced screenwriter to help her, that kind of thing. It's just really interesting the way Australian film is managed like mm. that. I must confess, this is, this is very specific to Australian listeners, but I did enjoy seeing the good old Village Roadshow logo pop up at yeah. the start of this. Yeah. That's a very iconic image, which we don't see a lot of anymore. I there thought- was a really gratuitous bit in the in the movie, too, where um she stops under a Village Roadshow sign where she leaves oh, Jacob yes, in, the, in the yeah. cinema. <laughs> I felt like I was about to watch The Wiggles when it came up. Yeah. That used to always pop up before The Wiggles. <laughs> or like Blinky Bill or something. Yeah, yeah. anything on ABC TV. Yeah. And so we've just alienated like most of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> so Let's serious. dive into the plot discussion. So the first part of the, the story kind of revolves around explaining the current family situation. So Josie is a third generation immigrant, or in terms of uh, like she's the third in her, yeah, her, yeah. her grandmother was the first to move to Australia. Yeah. Um, and her mum and herself were born there. And the whole... It, so they spent a lot of time explaining, you know, where they are. And, and there's definitely a lot of strained relationships in the Alibrandi family. So uh, Josie's mum, Christina, had her with uh, just a, her partner at the time. And they weren't married. 
and he she was seventeen. When yeah, she, she was had seventeen, baby. super yep. young. Uh, they didn't like he left. So, like, they weren't. Re- they explained later on they weren't ready for a family, which is why he he left. Well, he thought she would. Yeah. His family were moving, and he moved with his family. But he thought that she was getting an abortion. Yeah, yeah. and that was the understanding. Yeah, and this causes a lot of tension in the Al- the Italian side of the Alibrandi family, where that kind of thing is just not done. You know, Italians are very traditional, or they're at least portrayed as very traditional and insular to some some extent, and and they don't really like the whole you know having a, a bastard child or or any anything like that child or the fact that the father's not around or that he's not italian even at some yes he level. is is he yeah Andretti. Andretti. oh of course yeah. yes sorry no, no um they didn't know that even in the book in the movie and i think in the book they didn't know who the father was mm. her mum never told them yeah she told she, she told out? josie yeah that's right yeah. she told josie but no one else yeah it's it's josie's boyfriends who aren't yeah, yeah. Italian, yeah. and that causes friction. Yeah, I like the way that the movie opens on. I think they pick a good part of the the book. Um, it's called Wog Day, yeah, or uh, Tomato Day, or something like that. The that is Tomato a, Day is what it's it's known of, as within the family, but Josie calls it Wog. Yeah, day. and also to people that aren't like Italian Macedonian of that area, of, you should call it Tomato Day because Wog is a racial slur, but kind of one of those ones that is like, is it bad or yeah, is it bad? Yeah, Wog really kind of toes that line sometimes and some people mm. think it's really racist and some people don't think yeah. it is. It's so, also completely Australian, so... Yeah. Uh, it's a semi-slur for Italian? It's, it, for, uh, it's, it's, it's Mediterranean, yeah. basically, uh, Greek, Italian, Spanish even. Yeah. Like, because a lot, there was a lot of immigrants of those, of that Mediterranean area of the world into Melbourne and Sydney especially, just after World War... Just two. before and after World War Two, yeah. And white Australians who are also immigrants... Older immigrants. Yeah, just slightly earlier. They resented that and also resented, you know, that these people would bring their own cultural traditions and then be insular and, and all of that stuff that still happens today. So, um, yeah, it's a kind of term that, like, if your friends would, like you know, like a Greek family, they would probably use the word, but you're not really supposed to. <laughs> so, yeah, nonetheless, so they call this Wog Day and uh, it's basically when all the family gets together to help, uh, like, make a bunch Harvest of Harvest the tomatoes yeah. and make passata, basically. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that scene kind of happens much later on. It happens maybe three quarters of the way through the book, uh, but it's put right at the beginning here of the film. And actually, they use it really well. I really like the way that they then use it to bookend it on the other end as well, yeah. like one year mm-hmm. later. I really like that device. It really gives yeah. it a nice uh, front-to-back uh, Well, because it, it, yeah, spoilers, it shows her growth as a person because at the start of the movie, she can't wait to get out of there. She's like, oh, this is going to be my last tomato day ever. Um, I'm never going to do this again, and I hate these people, and... You won't see me again after this year, and blah blah blah. Yeah, she's saying that because she's about to graduate year twelve. Yeah. Or this is, this is her year twelve uh, yeah. year, which is the final year of high school in Australia, and uh, she hopes to graduate and go off to university and study yeah. law. So yeah, she's kind of got a, a love, mostly love, but a little bit of a, a fr- frictional relationship with her mum, and definitely a, a fractured relationship with her grandma, who she kind of resents for being angry at, at Christina, Josie's mum. For like for having the kid and, and not having the father around, she believes that the family is cursed, and it is. Uh, she implies that it is Christina's fault. Yeah, and that will be important later on. But just the three women. Yeah, yeah. So we we get to learn about all that. Um, Josie like heads off with her friends to the beach. Her friends we probably won't talk a lot about because they're not super plot relevant. Um, in this, they're kind of. Feel like they're better used actually in the book mm-hmm. as like character sounding conversation havers with with Josie yeah. to help in her character development, which is important. Uh, Sarah is annoying, much more annoying in the book, I think. She's awful in the book. Yeah, she's a terrible person, and I don't know why. You, and, and at the beginning, like Josie's like, oh, one day I want to slap her, and one day you know I want to talk to her and be friends or whatever. But I'm like, no, I just want to slap her. She's terrible, and <laughs> I don't know why you're friends with her. Yeah. Because she says, it's it's weird because she says things like, oh, we were just thrown together. 
so you know I kind of have to hang out with them but then she chooses to spend her free time with them like I can understand at school needing a group but yeah yeah it's weird um also they cut out uh, one of the friends yeah Lee for the film yeah Lee does not make the cut which yeah. is fine because they're irrelevant most of the time yeah. anyway <laughs> especially in the movie because they do mostly cut out a lot of the interaction. Well, yeah, and I think like a lot of the stuff that Lee was there for in the book, like was mirroring Sarah anyway. So we meet Michael quite early on, and he's just kind of uh, he's moved back to Sydney for for a year, supposedly to do uh, work. He's a barrister who lives in Adelaide, um, and they've not really they've not Josie's never met him, and Christina I don't think has seen him since. Yeah, uh, they were. Um, barrister yeah. is a. Australian yeah. slash English word for lawyer, yes. just in case you're American. Not a barista that makes yeah. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and so he kind of visits, and I don't think Nonna knows who he is at this point. Mm. No, yeah. she um, knows who he is, and she really likes him because he was the Italian neighbor's son. So she sort of sees him as this, like, amazing dude that could be a potential um, person for her daughter, Christina, not knowing their history. Yeah. The early attitude Josie has to him is that she hates him for not being there. Like, she hate, hate, hates him. Well, yeah, and he didn't even know she was alive. So he reacts badly to seeing her and finding out that she's there, which is, you know, a little bit understandable because he's having a conversation with her mother and she comes into the room and he continues to have a conversation with her mother as if she's not there and she says, yell at me, get angry, whatever, get upset, but don't ignore me, don't pretend I'm not here. Yeah. I'm real, I exist kind of thing. Yep. Which, Which is, is really cool attitude for a teenager to yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like the way they portray Josie throughout this, you know. She's got a, she's very strong-willed and, and not afraid to speak up for herself, but also very flawed, as any teenager really is. Super emotional. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mind when she was talking, when she was being, like, super melodramatic with the adults. Or, like, with her friends. Or, and, like, also when she was being super selfish, I was like, that's all accurate. Though, like, some of the stuff she does, I thought, this book is often read as a school text by, like, year 9, 10 kids. Mm. But it's supposed to be about year 12, like, just graduating kids. But really they act more like the kids who would be studying the text, not yeah. the kids who would actually be in that year. Um, You know, with, like, the petty, like gossiping about each other and that'd be fair it might be like that in sydney you know there's a lot of those private schools or a lot well, of those schools in very a... close catchment area mm-hmm. i went to one of those schools here and like yeah it was like that in year nine mm-hmm. it was not like that in year 12 yeah. like i went i went to a fancy private school like she goes to and yeah it, it really was like i went yeah it was all girls and it was horrible in year nine but by year 12 like everyone had settled down and nobody really cared anymore i guess maybe they just want to accelerate that development over the course of one yeah it's, it's year just a story movie. device yeah. yeah but it's just it's interesting for me because it's like reflecting a lot of the issues that the kids who would be reading it to study it would be experiencing yeah maybe rather than the issues that the kids that supposedly it's about would be experiencing. Yeah. It's more relevant to the target audience. Yeah, exactly. Which is fine. It's just interesting. Yep. Mm. Josie's very possessive of her mum and so continues to dislike uh, Michael in this early exchange. The next kind of major plot point we get to is meeting the the two boys who Josie will be involved with. Uh, one of them... Uh, so they go to this big speech thing which happens with a bunch of schools and they all go to... Have a say day. Uh, yeah, have a say day. Which is a real thing. Yeah. Uh, it's about, like, um, p- being active in the political sphere. It's about young people vote. having a voice yep. in mm-hmm. Australian politics. And, but it's really just kids in Sydney. Yeah, and as the vice-captain, <laughs> uh, Josie gets to has, gets to have, speak at this um, because... So uh, she gets to speak at this because Ivy, who's the school captain and, like, Josie's rival, uh, quote-unquote. Ivy doesn't exist in the movie, though. Yeah, she does. Is it, no, was it no, who, no, that's Carly. Oh, Carly. So they meld those characters together then. Yeah, but Carly's not the Carly's school captain. Carly's not the school captain. She's just Carly from the... Who's the school captain? They don't they have don't. a oh, okay. character in the movie. All right. Um, but so, so they meld these two characters then together, Ivy and Carly, which always actually makes sense now that I think about it. But basically because Carly's off doing speeches, um, Josie has to speak at this event. And she's sitting next to uh, Jacob Coote. No, she's sitting next to John Barton. Well, Jacob Coote, she's sitting, sorry, she's sitting in front of Jacob Coote. Yeah. 
and um, and sitting next to John Barton. And John Barton is uh, kind of on her level, uh, comes from a very rich family. His family have always, like his dad and his dad's dad have always been lawyers. Um, so his, his dad's like a Liberal Party politician. I think they all started as lawyers and then became politicians, yeah. which is the path that he's um, being told he has to take. I think the book actually waits a little longer to introduce him. It takes quite a while before you get to see any of John Barton. But regardless, he I feel like he gets more time devoted to him in the book. There's more like personal scenes and more conversations between him and Josie. You really feel like they're friends in the book. Yeah. And you really... It's another one of the ways that she is oblivious. She's only thinking about herself. And yet when you're reading the book, it's so obvious that he likes her. Mm. And I think the book does a better job of that. I mean, maybe they have different aims in what they want from those characters, but you feel more like they have a more, a more organic relationship, yeah. I guess, in the book. But the point of this whole scene is that she comes up and does her speech, which is quite good. And then following on from her is Jacob Coote, who's uh, from a public school, whereas Josie's from a private Catholic school. And uh, so the, the public schools in Australia are, you know, like not derided or whatever but they're supposedly of lower quality and all the the less rich kids go there yeah the kind of more more working class school yeah well i mean if you're in the catchment area for a public school you go to that school unless your parents Um, have money in which case you go to a private school yeah or choose not to send you to a private school yeah yeah um oh and another important point with josie is another way that she's trapped between these two worlds is that she so she's trapped between two worlds because she was born in Australia, but she's got this strong Italian heritage. But also she goes to this very expensive private school, but she's a scholarship student. So she doesn't have the money that all of her peers have. And so she feels like an outsider in that way as well. Yeah. Uh, so Jacob Cook gives his speech after Josie's and at first it's, he's very colloquial, but uh, affecting, I guess. He gives a, a, what is quite a good and motivating speech. He talks about how he's proud to live in a country where he can stand up and say the Prime Minister's shit and mm. no one can stop him. And, and no he pretty much hold... literally says that. He yeah. swears, and which is a little yeah. awkward for the No one richer. holds a gun to his head. And, yeah. and so what the content of what he's saying is smart for a high schooler level. It's It's smart and it's thought well thought out but it's the way he's saying it is is not the way he's saying it's not great but then you come to learn that that's sort of an act as well mm. it's really interesting he's a really interesting character he's smarter than he lets on yeah much smarter well, he, he puts on a dumber act on purpose mm. and a grimier act on purpose because it's like a shield yeah yeah so those so Again, it's kind of weird because this story just flows from, from character moment to character moment rather than plot point to plot point. Uh, but this kind of triangle develops. So in the book, I feel uh, John's much more distant and he's, he's clearly struggling with something, uh, which is something that's revealed to you. You know, he has mental health issues or, or something along those lines. You, you, you're, it's never explicitly said until the point where it really matters, but uh, it's hinted at. Um, whereas Jacob is kind of warm and he, he shows, I guess, a more direct interest in Josie. And she does genuinely like him as well. She finds out. <laughs> Not yeah. at first, maybe. I, guess, I think maybe the best way to put it is she's surprised to find out that she likes him as well. Mm. Well, she's so obsessed with her crush on John, and this is sort of what she grows out of during the year, is that she has a crush on John, but... Really, it's about being with him because he's... She She probably does have genuinely have feelings for him, but it's partly because of who he is. And and what sort of family he yeah. comes from. He's kind of a hope for a better life. She's, yeah, because she, is, she has learned to be kind of a snob. And so when she first meets Jacob, she's like, oh no, he's not the kind of boy for me because why would I go out with him? And it actually turns out that he's really good for her. I know it's just it's just a lot of like little vignettes of her talking to people, and kind of being like, "Oh, no one understands me." Yeah, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of teenage angst yeah. in this it, uh, it story. It gets kind of irritating. I found I was saying to Cat, I do find this kind of book frustrating to read because I get that it's like for a kind of younger audience, but. It does things like 
oh, well, this is how all teenage girls are kind of thing. Like, they all buy trashy magazines or they all obsess over what they're going to wear or the boys or whatever. And, like, that wasn't my experience of high school. So I'm like, oh, well, that's really isolating. Like, was I not a normal teenage girl, you know? Sometimes when I'm reading something like this, I'm like, okay, this isn't kind of for me. And, like, when we had to study these these texts at school, I was like, everyone else was like, oh, yeah, this is really, like, you know, it was really speaking to them on a personal level, whereas for me it was making me feel isolated because it's extremely heteronormative. It's extremely... Well, even the immigrant side of it is very specific to a kind of person. Yeah. It's just like, well, girls just are obsessed with boys. And it's like, oh, so, you know, as a girl who liked girls, it was like, oh, okay, well... I'll just be over here feeling isolated by this book then. Again, I guess a product of its time, which because it was written, we should say, in 1992. Yeah. Only 25 years ago or so, but still. It's interesting. I think if it was written today, John Barton would definitely, what happens to him would happen because he's gay. Don't you think? Yeah, Mm. definitely. And it's it's, That would be 100%. If this book was updated, that's what would happen. Yeah. Because that would just be, that's more relevant to our time now. Yeah. It's just very interesting. Yeah. I wanted to say as well before we moved on, I think sometimes this is why I prefer the movie in this instance as well, is because one of the devices it employs is uh, that Josie is also the narrator. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity for, she has much more of a, like a sassy personality um, at times and she, um, and, and that helps with, with kind of a little bit of comic relief, which you don't quite get so much out of the book. Because um, obviously she is the narrator in the book as well, but it's more serious and more uh, self-reflective, I guess, rather than some of the the yeah the more sarcastic and and biting side we see of Josie at times in the movie. And I think I prefer that in the movie that that version of the character. I did like in the book though. It's obviously probably early '90s slang, or possibly even Sydney-specific slang, but there was slang like they said they'd go crawl to someone, which meant, like, they'd bitch about someone behind their back and then they'd be nice to their face. And um, the first time they use that slang, they don't explain it. They mm. just they just use it. And that's very much, like, when you're dealing with teenagers, it's like they will just use slang and you'll have to just catch up. I really liked that. And that doesn't so much happen in the movie. Like, they're everyone's just very reasonably articulate. It's like, that's not what happens with teens. <laughs> teens are not articulate. <laughs> teens say real weird, shit, real, real weird shit to you all the time. <laughs> I know uh, that because I work with them. <laughs> so we kind of move on to, uh, uh, I guess we get, we are revealed at this point a little bit of Nonna's history. Now she, it's very complicated and I don't think it, it really serves us to explain the whole thing, but uh, her uh, husband has died by the time that this book starts, probably about 10 years ago. Um, but so she kind of had a rough upbringing um, as an, the first generation of immigrant of Italian immigrants in her family to come to Australia. And uh, we learned a, bit, a little bit about Marcus Sanford, who was this Australian policeman and then army soldier who, like, she knew. They talk a bit about how um, there were work camps for Italian men in Melbourne and Sydney. Melbourne I think it's in Queensland, Sydney? isn't it? That's where they are originally. But they took Italian men from mm. Melbourne and Sydney, yeah. I think, yeah. during World War Two, just the same as what happened to Japanese people in America. So she talks about how her husband, so she'd been brought to this country, she didn't speak the language very well. Um, felt very isolated. Felt very isolated, didn't have really anyone to talk to. They lived in a shack in the middle of the bush. And she's always going on about how they didn't even have tiles. They just had a dirt floor and there were snakes. Then her husband got taken away. And that's when she met Marcus Sanford. That's when she met Marcus Sanford. And he was very sweet to her and helped her and came and, you know, took care of her. And that will come back to play very importantly in the latter half of this text. Yes. Uh, I really like this. This is probably one of my favourite scenes from the whole whole, uh, story in both the book and the film. So um, after getting a bit abused by... Carly, yeah, uh, she, uh, but she's basically called a wog, which she takes offence to, um, and, and a bastard, yeah, legitimate, yeah. She smacks a school textbook into her face right in the nose, and it looks super painful, and it's a very satisfying sound. And Carly's mm. a model, so yeah, that's why it's like extra. 
satisfying because yeah. Carly's a super bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when uh, her f- when Carly's father, who is a radio talk, yeah, he's... I think in the book he's a TV presenter, and yeah. in the movie he's, he's a radio. radio. Yeah, he's a lawyer that appears on the radio. I think that's only in the TV. I think in the book he's just yeah. a, a radio show host or something like yeah. that. Yeah. But regardless, he's he's in the Sydney upper class elite. Mm. Yeah. And he's well known, and he threatens to sue. Um, and they're like, uh, she doesn't have a lawyer, and she's like, my father's a lawyer. Yeah. So before this point, she's told Michael Andretti, "I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want you. In my I life. don't. Don't never speak to me again. Like, you know, I curse your name." But at this point, she's kind of in her in a teenage fit of anger and angst. She kind of is like, yeah, I can use this. And so she calls him to the school. The funny part about that is that she hasn't really publicized that she is in touch with her father. And so Carly's response is like, she doesn't even have a father. And so she goes to call her father, but has to look him up in the white pages. (laughs) Yeah. Again, that's the Australian uh, phone book. Yeah, yeah, for businesses, yeah. and then she then she um she has to tell his secretary because she knows that he won't know what school she goes to, so she has to like find a way to tell his secretary what school she goes to. She's like, oh, remind him it's Saint Martha's and not Saint Matrons or whatever, because <laughs> um, he always gets it wrong. <laughs> yeah, and so he comes down and uh, and. Very, I just love the the aesthetic of this scene because yeah. he he comes in and can clearly see what's happened and, and she t- they they take him aside for a minute so uh, it, she explains to him what happened and what's happening because they want to sue and he comes back and takes out Carly's father into the hallway for a little bit of a private chat and they're gone for like five minutes and then when they come back uh, Carly's father's like we're leaving goodbye yeah <laughs> what's really great about the first chat that um Michael Andretti has with Josie is when he comes and he susses out the situation and he goes, okay, we need to have a chat. And he actually kind of starts to do the father thing and he's like, you know, if you're going to start, like, thumping people in the face, like, whenever they disagree with you or insult you, you're going to be hitting a lot of people. Like, actually kind of gives a little bit of a lesson, which is kind of nice to see rather than just sucking up as a dad. I feel like he's much warmer as well, more immediately in the film than mm. the book. He does, he's this, this, the exchange in the book is almost still angry at each other. Yeah. yeah. He's not like annoyed he had to come down, but, but he, I think he's confused because of the fact that she didn't want him in her yeah. life. And so it's, it's still very, a, a different feel to it. I guess you have less time to do it in the film, so they're trying to compact yeah. it a little bit and you have to start that development a little sooner. Yeah. I can see in your notes we're about to talk about it, but we should say, because we're about to talk about it, the motivation in the film is slightly different. So she's under, in the movie, something awful's just happened, and she's she's basically still reeling from that. Let's just let's yeah, just talk well, about it. We'll talk about it, it now because the timeline is very very different. But in the book, movie. in the book, what what happens prior to her hitting Carly with the book? In the movie, happens now after she has yeah. Carly. So John Button kills himself uh, overnight, basically, and they've spent a lot of time immediately before this in both book and film, developing their relationship. And they have, you know, they go to see the movie and they talk about what they want out of life. So it's a very deep and intimate relationship that they're developing, even if it's not necessarily 100% romantic. They also um, they exchange letters that they've written that are really deep and personal letters to themselves that they want each other to read to them at the end of year 12. And so when Josie opens, like, so obviously he's passed away now and she's, like, in the, you know, depths of despair and absolutely devastated. She pulls out the letter that John Barton had wrote for her to read to himself um, and instead it was actually written to her and it said, um, you know, if I could be the thing that my family wants to be, if I could be the thing that you want me to be, um, and kind of goes on and, you know, with all of this, like, I just can't fit this, this mold and it's too much pressure and things like that, which is obviously really horrible for like a 16, 17 year old to read. Yeah. So it's much more explicit. It's much more, I guess, immediate there as well from the, the film to the book, because that's not what the note says in the book either. In the book, it's a poem about how the about the loneliness that he feels and kind of the because yeah. he feels a lot of pressure from his father to to do to live a certain way and to, to have well, a certain there's career. There's also a certain amount of um almost abusive control happening yeah, with his definitely. father, like his father is going through his mail. Yeah, 
Um, like he says, my father owns my life. Yeah. I can't do anything without him. The other big difference, obviously, is that this happens at wildly different points. So this happens yeah. halfway-ish, maybe slightly earlier in the film. Yeah. And it's right at the end, maybe 30 pages from the end of the book. Um, yeah, probably two-thirds. So it affects the story in very different ways. Yeah. Um, it, it motivates the decisions that Josie makes in the film for the rest of the film. You know, like that, that grief obviously causes her to lash out at Carly. And then the, the situation that we were talking about before resolves. Um, but in the book, it kind of, it's a very bitter, bitter moment at right at the end of the story, you know, and then that she doesn't have a lot of time to recover or, or move on from it even. Which I think really affects the way the book ends differently to how it ends in the movie. So, yeah, so she's lashed out. She, she, uh, and now, uh, Michael's driving her home after this event, and uh, and this is where we have a lot of scenes now that start to develop that relationship between her and her uh, formerly estranged father. And it's cute. Yeah, they're really good yeah. scenes. It's very, very... I do... These actors really have a great chemistry together. It's very organic, very... Uh, I guess it, I didn't think it was weird for the, for the kind of situation that they're in. It all seemed very natural. And These were the happen. best scenes in the movie for yep. me. Like when she goes to stay at his apartment overnight... There was just, like, a little moment where um, he comes to pick her up and her mum says, oh, she's got studying coming out of her ears. And he just, like, lifts up her hair to have a look if she's got something coming out of her ears. And, like, that's such a dad thing to do. And, like, I don't know. It's just really cute. And their relationship just really blossoms. And it, it just, like, yeah. yeah. But there's, a, really good, there's a great scene of him teaching her to drive and they're still arguing oh about, like, family things. So good. They're very, very normal for, like, a, yeah. a father teaching a, a daughter to drive sort of thing. But also during that scene, you know, not, not only do you get that nice moment, they then have, like, a big argument about, you know, the state of their family and why he left and all these sorts of things. And he says he's going back to Adelaide soon and she's like, well, you know. Yeah, why come this way, start developing a relationship with me and then leave again. Yeah. Whereas in the book he kind of... They never really get to the point in time where that's an immediately pressuring thing and eventually he just says, I'm coming, I'm staying in Sydney. Yeah, and he even he even takes her to Adelaide at one point in the book. Yeah, that's probably the biggest plot change, which is remarkable, you know, considering that that's, if that's the biggest change, you know, it's very faithful in terms of plot to the original. There's other things he does, like um, she's working at McDonald's um, in the book. I love how in the movie she's working at a Porto. Yeah. <laughs> which is like so Aussie and so Sydney. Yeah. Um, Didn't come to like Western Australia until like seven years ago yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, but um, he's like, oh, you're like going out there late at night. Oh, can we talk about the fact she's like sexually assaulted in the book? Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about that because this is the, the thing that we need to kind of now cover that come. come that encompasses the whole story, which is the romance with Jacob. Yeah. Right. So, um, he kind of saves her and her friends for as much. Again, I think it's there's all like three or four of them are in the in the book. But so he dances with the first. Their first contact after the speeches is the dance. Yep. The and he dance. dances with her. Yep. Um, and then he drives her home on his motorbike. Yep. Um, which is a great scene. Yeah. And he's like, I, I actually quite like this because then they did it word for word the same in the movie where he's such a boy because he's so like, oh, I don't, I don't go for chicks like you, you know? And then she, she's like, fine. Like, she's like confused as to why he just comes out with that when he's dropping her off. And then he's like, you want to go out? She's like, <laughs> you just said that I wasn't your type. What are you talking about? It's because he went to kiss her and she was like, oh, not sure. And then he read that and was like, oh, yeah, you're not really my type. And then, yeah. like, turns That's around great. and asks her out. Yeah, he really And then she's her, like, you'll have to meet my mum. He's like, well, fuck, I'm out of here. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I don't meet mums. And then... And then literally changes his mind on that, like, yeah. two seconds later. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, this is your jacket. Like, she's wearing his leather jacket. And he's like, fine, I'll meet your mum. Like, I it's know, such it's, a, it's great, though. It's so, like, confusingly teenage great. such... It's such a, yeah, such a teenage boy, like, I, I like you, but I'm real constipated with emotions. <laughs> it's just so good. Um, and then he comes to, like, meet her mum, and this is what, like, this is the thing that, like, he's he puts up a So shield. they're about to go on a date. Yeah. So he comes to meet her mum, and he's wearing, like, the worst clothes. Oh. And he's, like, not shaved. He's deliberately, like, deliberately, made himself look gross. Like, made himself look homeless. The great bit about this is that when I watched this when I was 16, I thought he was hot stuff. <laughs> and 
Like, it was, like, you know, he was, like, the epitome of, like, teenage boy, what you're attracted to. Like, he's kind of rough and he kind of doesn't want to meet your mum, but he'll do it for you. And and he says he's doing it because he wants to, like, uh, you know, I just do me. I am me and no, no one changes me or, or tells me what I have to wear, you know. I'm just comfortable. Yeah. Which is his whole thing, really. But what's great is that watching it again as a 24-year-old, I look at him and I'm like, you are filthy. Like, there are stains <laughs> Take on Take a your... shower, man. No, but, like, there are stains on his shirt. Like, the things I didn't notice as, like, with 16-year-old glasses on, like, the actual grossness. Like, not just not just raggy. Like, your clothes are dirty. Yeah, so immediately he, he like, they go on this date and, and it's they don't even make it into the movie they're going to go see because they have a, a very typical early relationship argument about... You know, you don't want to do. You don't want to even cater to me. You just want to do whatever you want to do. Yeah. And then he kind of semi insults her, and she leaves. Um, and which is and when one of the her next meetings is with Michael, quite early in the story, because he. Yeah. <laughs> I really like this this line because she's walking along the street. She's like walking home because she doesn't have money for a taxi or anything. And a car pulls up alongside her, and she's like, "My dad's a cop," and he's like, "Your dad's a barrister," because it's actually him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, I also can we just went before they go on the date. I really like um, how she convinces because so she's never been allowed out on a date before, and um, she's been trying to like convince her mum that this is a really nice guy and he's fine <laughs> and he's safe and everything. And um, Jacob doesn't have a mother; his mother passed away from cancer. And um, when he arrives looking like shit, she she runs upstairs and and uh, her mum follows her and she's like she's like oh mum it's so awful he doesn't have a mother to sew for him. <laughs> And so, the, like, because she knows that's going to, like, for, like, her, you know, Italian mum, she, she's going to be like, oh, he's the poor dear, like, yeah, yeah. and let her go. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's really good. She makes this huge excuse for him. It's really funny. And then. So, so they go on this failed date, and then, like, they just meet up again sometime after that. And, so then. Oh, that's then when she, the... Yeah, so then she's, she's working her job. She's like, oh, stuff you. She was working her job at McDonald's, and it's quite late at night, and there's some neighbor boy that she used to live near. Yep. And he hates her, and um, she's like he comes and harasses her in the McDonald's. But there's the police there, so you know they kind of have to yeah. you know behave themselves. But then when she and her friend leave, him and his mate are hanging around the car, um, waiting for them. And um, yeah, super creepy. Yeah, so they basically like, oh, we'll take turns with you in the back, and like, basically like, crams her up against the vehicle and like. She, she said, like, I think it says, like, slobbers all over her mouth. Yeah, he sexually like, assaults her. Yeah, so he sexually assaults her. And then, um... <laughs> and then Jacob comes Jacob and beats, comes the, and beats shit the shit out, out of him. Because Jacob had also been in the McDonald's all evening, like, watching her. Which is a bit creepy, but... But I really but in like, a nice way. <laughs> but I really like in this scene, in the book, because this doesn't happen in the movie... Because this is written for teenagers, I really like that the author had has in there, like, oh, you think it would be really, like, romantic and heroic to have someone beat someone up for you, but actually it was horrible and violent, and yeah. I really hated it. Yeah. Which is a great betrayal of that. Yeah. It's exactly what a, a teenager and I like, and I, and I was pulling Jake off, like, being like, don't stop hitting yeah, him, yeah. stop hitting him, which I think is, like, just... That's what that is. What how you need to portray that because mm. it's, it's always portrayed like, oh, how romantic! You beat the crap out of that guy for me, and it's like, no, <laughs> yeah, don't need to romanticize yeah. something. You just need to scare really... them off. You don't need to. Yeah, exactly. And he's doing it the only way he really thinks. Yeah, he knows how. but like it did annoy me that then this incident is never spoken about again yeah. in the book. Like both she and her friend, I think the the other guy is like having a go with her friend, like. Mm. Both she and her friend get assaulted, never mentioned again. Yeah. And it's like, cool, just wipe that incident under the mm. rug in this book. Like, yeah. eh, I didn't like that at all. Yeah, so they start, like, dating. It's much friendlier, I guess, throughout the, over the, the in general over the course of the movie than the kind of very on-again, off-again situation they have in the book where they're like dating one second and not dating the next because they keep fighting every time which is where the opening quote for this podcast came from that they are a disaster together i really like in the movie it's like stupid and like daggly romantic but i really like in the movie after their date so they go on their first date and then whatever she doesn't see him and then john kills himself 
and then basically the next time she sees Jake, she's on the train or on the bus, mm. and he just gets on the bus or whatever, and she's standing there and she's in tears already. And then he just like walks up to her and just like puts his arms around her, and I'm like, oh, so yeah. romantic. They do yeah. they do do a good job of legitimizing why she would be interested in him because yeah. she does say he's just very he's very natural. He kind yeah. of doesn't look. He doesn't like try. He just sees Josie as a nice person, you know, like yeah. a, with with issues. And he's accepts very natural. Her for, yeah. yeah, he's very natural with her in the book and the movie. Like yep. he's like affectionate because he wants to be affectionate and yep. not. I did like that as well. There's a, only a couple points where he gets like. Which is, again, like, how boys, teenage boys are. He gets frustrated because they're not having sex. Yeah. But, like, he's never, like, that's not his aim. It's just, like, he gets frustrated. But he talks to her about it. He doesn't, like, treat her badly. He, he yeah. like, he just says to her, like, I'm finding this very difficult. Which like, I think reveals how actually mature and smart he is. Yeah. Which is why he's on Josie's level. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the next big scene between them is when uh, she gets introduced to his father and they have a, a make-out sesh, which almost leads to sex in his room. Her and Jacob, not her and her, his father. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Very, very important we point that out. Um, I like in the, the book, she goes to the... They've had another fight, I think, and she goes to the house and then... Yeah, she goes to try and make things up. Yeah, then. and then... I think the dad answers the door. Yeah. She's like, he's like, I know who you are. I've heard lots about you. <laughs> and then they spend the entire afternoon together. Yeah. While Jacob has a song. Well, Jacob, and Jacob comes downstairs and then has a tan- tantrum or something. Yeah. And then his dad's like, moody little bugger. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. Very, very. But I, I do like the way that the, this story portrays single parents as being totally legitimate family yeah. options, you know? Like, for, for, I mean, neither of them are, particularly want to be single parents, I imagine, you know? Because yeah. Jacob's mum died and, and um, uh, Michael was never around. But they're, they're perfectly legitimate family options, yeah. which is really good. The Jacob romance kind of comes to a very different ending in both scenarios uh, or of, of book and film. So, oh, yeah. In- so, so he, um, so, yeah, she has like tea with his dad. Or, and that doesn't really happen in the movie, and then goes upstairs, and then they sort of start fooling around, and then she's like, I don't want to lose my virginity on your bed in my school uniform, yeah. like, with your dad in the next room, like, no thanks. And then he gets, so in the book, he gets real frustrated. Do they have another fight, and that's when they break up? No, they break up literally, like, pages from the end. Yeah. For, for no reason. She's just like, one day it just didn't work oh, out. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But they do have another fight at that point. Yeah. Mm. Whereas in the movie, he's a lot more understanding. He's like, yeah, like I said, he's like, I'm really frustrated. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I think she says something like, oh, we could do other things. And he's like, that's even worse than doing yeah. the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then kind of how does it lead to, because so, so Again, kind of jumping forward over the last thing we need to cover here, but right at the the end of the movie is Wog Day again, but developed from one year on. Yeah. And how does um Jacob end up like because he's there, he shows up, doesn't he? So Wog Day. Yeah. So I think no... she's worried that he's going to go away, and instead he shows up at her house and's like, "Yeah, okay, I'm willing to." Yeah, I don't think there is any conflict basically in the with him at the end of the movie because they have that sort of discussion, and then we don't really see him again until he turns up. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're maybe, like, semi-having a break or something like that, where they're just... I mean, they well, do she have... Has, she has exams. They, yeah, they show her having her exams, so you guess you kind of assume that he's also busy doing his exams. Mm. Yeah. I think she does storm out of his house that afternoon in the movie. Does she? I think so. I can't no, really remember. I don't think so. I don't I think, think they're perfectly the amicable. No, I think you're thinking of the book. I think in the movie it's like, that scene ends and it's fine, and then the next time you see him is the, the tomato day. I think it's basically left up to imagination. And when he shows up at Tomato Day, it's like you think that he's there to pick up Josie to take her like away again because she wants to like leave Tomato Day. Which is what she does in the opening scene. She leaves with her friend Sarah. Yeah, but instead, like she invites him in and he like joins Tomato Day, as do her two friends that again in the opening scene came to pick her up to take her to the beach. But instead, she pulls them in as well. And so they're all there at Tomato Day. I really like in this last scene. So when she first starts dating Jacob, both parents are like, does he own a car? And she's like, no, because what she doesn't tell them is he drives a motorcycle. (laughs) And then, so when her mum says that she doesn't think anything of it, but she just doesn't tell her that he drives a motorbike, which she goes on the back of. 
Um, which personally I know my parents would have freaking murdered me. Mm. Um, <laughs> but then her dad asked her the same question and she's like, you guys did it in a car, didn't you? <laughs> and he's like, stop asking questions. Shut up. <laughs> and then, then when, so when Jacob turns up on his bike to Tomato Day, they're like, a motorbike. And she's like, Lisa's not a charger. And they're both like, embarrassing. Let's never speak of this again. <laughs> <laughs> but like looking in like weird directions, like uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's cover the the last remaining storyline, which is the the wrap up of Nonna and and her family's whole arc, I guess. Yeah. Um. So it's basically revealed that uh, over the course of a couple of little clues that are given, that Josie figures out that her Nonna had an affair with uh, Marcus Sanford because while her her father like um I can't remember what his name is. Francesco, yeah, Francesco, uh, and he treated uh, Nonna like crap, and, yep. and didn't really love her. She was just kind of there. Well, he married her even knowing that he was impotent, mm. and she really wanted kids. Yeah, and so Josie's mother is Marcus Sanders' daughter, not yeah, Christine. She's, she's not. Yeah, she's she's not an Alabrandi. Yeah, so she's, she's a Sanford. Um, and this all kind of ties into in the book. Um, which I don't think happens in the movie. Her dad asks her, "Would would she take his name?" Yeah. And so when she finds out that her her mother isn't actually an um, an Alibrandi after all, she feels free and and she talks through it with her mother. And she's like, "Would I wouldn't be rejecting you, but like, would you be okay with me doing this?" Then she she's at the end of the book. She takes her dad's name. That seemed weird yeah. to me. I felt I, that was one of the things that kind of seemed yeah, the most. Yeah, it's off. kind of too neat. Like I don't know. I don't the know. Book, how the I book would takes feel... a very different ending attitude, though. In general, like it's yeah. not supposed to be a, a happy ending. It's supposed to be a well. Sometimes things just are. Yeah. Well, like she's broken up with Jacob, and she's yeah. like heartbroken about it, and she's like, "Well, we'll probably get back together at some point." And you're like, "You probably won't." I think the whole <laughs> like the last lines are like that. She understood now. She she understands. I'm like one day. Yeah. I'm like yeah okay. I see now I kind of like it and I liked her changing her last name because the the whole deal with like Katia the nonna and then Christina and then Josie was that those three were cursed for you know no apparent reason and like, everything bad happened to them and all of this stuff and then it turns out that they that Katia the grandmother kind of was like well the curses that we've all had we either are or have all had illegitimate children or affairs and then when they find out that Basically, Christina and Josie are absolutely not Alibrandis at all. That her taking her father's last name is kind of choosing to reject the Alibrandi name, which, you know, Francesco was such a horrible man. They want to remove themselves from it. And again, with breaking up with Jacob, a lot of it was to not be a continuation in this sort of like falling pregnant and losing your life and making your own decisions and just trying to be an independent person aside from the things that she's built. The um, Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Both stories also deal differently with uh, telling Christina. Um, so in the film, Josie tells Christina immediately about um, Nona's secret um, with Michael Sanford, and in the book they don't tell her. But I like that So um, that that there's this anger and then it, there's a real, this is probably one of my favorite scenes from the book in that uh, maybe a chapter or two after that, she goes back to her nonna's house and she, I think it's after one of her flights with Jake or something. And, and she goes back there and she, they, they reconcile because she understands, you know, that your family are really important and that what happened to her must've been horrible. And then, then you get the full explanation of why it happened after her immediate like rage I think she's initially when she hears when she finds out about Nonna, she's really angry because Nonna was angry at Christina the whole time for having a child. Which has been a huge there. hypocrite. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah, and then eventually that's forgiven, and that's yeah. kind of and and then we just you know we wrap up into the end of the book and film. Yeah, but they take very different optimistic attitudes. But I think a lot of Katia's anger is yes, like being hypocritical. Yeah. But also, it's probably a lot of internal anger at herself and what she caused. And obviously, Francesca knew that he couldn't, you know, like, impregnate Katia. So, obviously, if she was having a child and, you know, the due date and everything meant that she was cheating on him, that would have that caused a lot of angst in their relationship and he was, like, a non-nice dude. And I, it's kind of implied that he was very, kind of, like, verbally abusive and all of this sort of stuff. So, 
when her daughter goes and puts herself in a very similar situation, I think a lot of it is anger that her daughter did this because it's going to, you know, Francesco was really horrible to Christina. She doesn't want the same for her. Yeah, so a lot of it is probably, yes, just being like, no, you shouldn't have a child out of wedlock, blah, 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 blah. But also, like, how would you? How could you have done the same mistake that I've done, blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. So yeah. Very, very briefly before we move on to recommendations, which ending do you prefer? Just because I'm a sucker for more romantic, hopeful endings. I really like, like, Jacob turning up to Tomato Day and, like, Josie's dad being like, welcome to the family and passing him a big, like, spoon and being like, stir these tomatoes. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then... Um, and then he dances with her in the, the final closing yeah, dance as well, which is really cute. beautiful. And it's just like, I'm like, oh. Yeah, because I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think I'm going to go with movie. Yeah, I'm going to. I'm the exact same lines. I don't even need to add anything to that. That's exactly how I feel. I am totally for the books ending because I feel like it is way more in line with her personality and her rebellious attitude, and you know, focusing on herself as selfish as she is, but also focusing on like she's she, through the book she's come to realize the importance of family and le- like being with her family. And her father's just come back into her life. And by the end of the book, they're really, really starting to have a solid relationship. Um, You know, uh, Jacob's future path looked very different to Josie's path in terms of careers um, and being the smart person she is. It it would just make way more sense for them not to be together, especially because they did fight so much. Um, You know, so for me, it just fits so much better. It made way more sense. I agree it's probably definitely more in place with what's come before because even in the movie when it comes to that closing scene and the big dance it's like oh wow this is so cheesy all of a sudden but I think I was okay with it because it was it's very Australian mm. and I really it's it's gorgeous. even though it was cheesy it was sweet and heartfelt and and still somewhat earned yeah no it's a it's a gorgeous scene I, yeah. I like I really enjoy it but in terms yeah. of like logistics cool. and that's basically the end of the plot so let's recommend Thumbs up or thumbs down uh, for looking for Ella Brandy. So many thumbs up. So many thumbs up. This is for both. For both. You have to do both. There's no one or the other. You have to do both. And I'm a terrible reader, hence me never reading any of the books in this podcast. (laughs) You did read this back in. in Yeah, I read this in high school. um, And I skimmed through it again today. And I just, I love it so much. I know it has got some horrible stereotypes. And I know that it can be very polarizing. I totally get that. But it's just like a great Australian text. If you can excuse all those horrible things, yeah, it's amazing. Just because something's problematic in some ways doesn't mean it doesn't have merit. Yeah. yeah. I, I said before we started recording, I really had a knee-jerk reaction to reading and watching this where I was like, oh, I really don't like this. It kind of upset me. Like I said, I went to a school like this. And, and then all day today, because I finished the book, yesterday and watched the movie yesterday evening all day today I kept thinking about it and even as we were talking just now I was like deconstructing stuff that happened in it in my head and there is actually a lot to unpack and for that reason I'm going to recommend both yeah I really think it has a lot of merit I I I don't know it's just one of those things that like yeah on first pass you may not love it but I think uh, certainly as a slice of life for like a certain like Australiana, the movie definitely, mm. um, like 90s Australian, definitely like that is how like Sydney and Melbourne still are. There's still like mm. whole <laughs> yeah. suburbs that are like, you know, like you have like Greek, massively Greek suburbs and massively Italian suburbs. Mm. And cause, because there was huge... Um, Immigration. Immigration from those countries um, so long ago. I really think, yeah, both really have a lot of merit. And um, I think, yeah, just give them give them a try because yep. they're, they're good. Yeah, I think if you're, if you're happy to – if you're not from Australia but you're still you – know, like Australians don't, like, turn you off from watching or, or, or reading, then – Why are you listening to this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's – it's really I, I'd never read or seen uh, either of them. It's kind of one of those things that I always knew existed because it's a, a kind of a quintessential Australian text. Mm. But yeah, it's definitely worth giving a try. I'm happy to give a thumbs up to both. They're definitely not my favourite things I've ever read or seen, but I think the movie definitely has a lot of charm and personality to it. I I would recommend that more strongly than the book. 
but yeah, no, I'll give. I'm happy to give thumbs up to both of these. Yeah. What are we into outside of the Alabrandi family? I have <laughs> been rewatching old episodes. Well, they're all old episodes um, of Frasier. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, that's all I do with my time is just watch Frasier. Frasier's great. Frasier is so, so good. good. Frasier is such a good television show. It's so funny. You know, we're just talking about how like stuff can have problematic stuff in it and still be good. Like, there's very little in Frasier that's problematic. Very little. Uh, sometimes the jokes about Roz get a little bit much, but then she's always like standing up for herself, so you mm. don't feel so. You don't feel like it's like at her expense because yep. she doesn't give a shit. It kind of actually makes like Fraser and everyone look like bad people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like it actually works the opposite way. Yeah. Um, there's a f- there's a few things with like gay characters and stuff, but you know, it was 90s. the nineties. It's just such a good show. Oh yes, my god! So if you haven't watched Fraser in a while. Also, his ha- the so change the change in his hairstyle from the first to oh like the third God. season uh, is so funny. The freaking like curly mullet, <laughs> so like, disgusting. Murders me. I'm the, I'm in one of those seasons at the moment. I'm I was like, going to say I'm in one of those scenes. No, I'm like I'm really I'm like, into the curly mullet right I'm now. Like, I'm like, why do you have a curly mullet, Kelsey Grammer? Please. Also, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey yeah. Grammer. Like, amazing. Everyone in that show is so good. Kelsey Grammer is so David Hyde Pierce yeah. is so good. Like, the oh, dog, oh, Eddie. Eddie is so. That dog every, was amazing everyone, as an actor. Everyone in that show is amazing, yeah. Mm-hmm. and yeah, I'm just enjoying my rewatch. I've, I did a rewatch last year. I watched all of Frasier last <laughs> year, and I and I was like, it's on Stan, and I I recently upgraded my Xbox so I can watch Stan on my TV now, um, whereas I couldn't before, and um, I was like, just looking for something dumb, you know, to have on in the background. I'm like. No, I'm not gonna put Frasier on. I just rewatched Frasier last year. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rewatch Frasier. And now I'm freaking like three seasons into Frasier and I'm like, God damn it! I need to do something else with my time other than watch Frasier. But it's so freaking good. And I'm like, just one more episode. Just one more episode. Just one more episode. And then you start getting into the like Niles and Daphne stuff like real hardcore oh. and you're like, Well now I have to watch it until they get married. Yeah. <laughs> what? I haven't seen the ends. They get married? Uh, You've yeah. not seen the end of Frasier? Oh my god, Cat, oh, we have to on. sit. Cat, we have to sit and watch the. We have to sit and watch all of the. All of like the end of Frasier. Well, before we delve into that, what have you been watching, Cat? I just started. So I've binged all of Friends, like all of it, because I needed something to turn my brain off. I'm really hanging a 90s sitcom vibe yeah. here yeah. right now. Well, it's about to change. So after watching all of Friends, and I was devastated because I didn't know what to do with my life, even though I don't particularly like that show, it was just good to watch. I started watching Parks and Rec again, and I was thoroughly enjoying it until I read that horrible article about Aziz Aziri. And sorry. And sorry. Sorry. And now, like, and the thing is, he was one of my favorite characters because he's so, like, he's a complete twat. But he has the best lingo. And in my family, we used to make so much, like, fun of it. And we used to, like, we always called him Timmy Tom Tom. And all my brothers and sisters did all of that, you know, speak and, you know. And now I'm just devastated about it all. Yep. Definitely a lot to unpack there. Yes. Uh, Save that for another time. the worst. Yeah. But Parks and Rec, good. Yes. Parks and Rec, good. Support the other people. Like (laughs) Leslie Nope. I'm going to recommend... One and a half things. Um, one of them, I'll get the half out of the way. Get first. one thing, Adam. <laughs> uh, Overwatch League started this week. It's great. I just, um, if you're into esports, which if you're listening to this podcast, there's probably a pretty slim chance of. But if you do, I'd like to know who you are because you and my husband should be friends because I'm not interested in okay, that. Th- thank you for making me look like an outsider. Um, <laughs> Overwatch League is great. Look the like. first week was amazing. There's definitely problems given that there's like no female players, and I refuse to believe that like out of 12 teams who can sign like 12 players each, none of them found room for one woman. Uh, but the league itself, the production values are great. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to like about it. Uh, the other thing I'm going to recommend is a podcast I'm listening to. It's called Emperors of Rome. It comes in 15-minute bites. It's done by a professor from uh, La Trobe University in Australia. Um, it's just little, literally just 15-minute bites about every emperor of Rome, and like they go two or three episodes per, per emperor. 
It's a great little slice of ancient history explained in a very easy to listen and understand manner. And as someone who really enjoyed ancient history, I was in school and hasn't done anything about it since. I've found it very entertaining, and I like I get to listen to one of like I listen to one, and then I return to whatever other podcast I was listening to, and the next day I listen to the next one, and it's really good. Highly recommend Emperors of Rome the podcast. Nice. Uh, next time we're going to be doing Treasure Island. Yay! I know nothing about Treasure Island. Is there treasure on the island in the end? Spoilers. The island is the treasure. The treasure was the friendships they made along the way. <laughs> the treasure is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> One man's treasure is another man's island. <laughs> no man is a treasure. Well, uh, we've solved their treasure <laughs> puzzle. You can find and contact us at wereadthebookgmail.com, on Twitter at readthebookpod. We're also on other places. Stitcher. Stitcher, if you're on Android. Um, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes, and we'd love it if you did. Uh, it'll download automatically every two weeks when we release the episodes. And if you like the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a review, because um, that helps other people to learn about the show and also to be able to listen to it. And that's great. Yeah. Woo! Especially if you are in the UK, because we've just learned that... The different countries aggregate reviews differently. Yep. So if you're in the UK, your review goes on the UK iTunes store. And if you're in the US, it goes in the US iTunes store. And if you're in Australia, it goes in the Australian one, blah, blah, blah. So if you're Venezuelan, get on there. We don't have any Venezuelan reviews yet. Exactly. So don't think like, oh, a bunch of other people have done it. Because not necessarily. We're just desperate for your approval. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, like, hit us up on Twitter and stuff, guys. We love hearing from you. Yeah, I love Twitter. I use Twitter all the time. I'm a regular Twitterer. I love hearing from you. And Adam, <laughs> Thanks, Lois. I love hearing from you, too. Adam is the worst. That's going to do it for us this time. Uh, we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. I'm the Vice Captain of Cook High, Adam Heap. I'm Sister Lois Mitchell. And I am Cat Found Alla Brandy. <laughs> see you next time. Bye! Bye. Cause you're my human life Oh, oh, cause you're my human life Oh, oh, cause you're my human life Oh, 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 cause you're my human life You can swallow, you can swallow if you want Again, that works great in audio format I'm gonna throw up.